Lux Occult is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Like great works, deep feelings always mean more than they are conscious of saying. The regularity of an impulse or repulsion in a soul is encountered again in habits of doing or thinking. It is reproduced in consequences of which the soul itself knows nothing. Great feelings take with them their own universe, splendid or abject. They light up with their passion an exclusive world in which they recognize their climate. There is a universe of jealousy, of ambition, of selfishness or of generosity, a universe, in other words, a metaphysic, an attitude of mind. What is true of already specialized feelings will be even more so of emotions, basically as indeterminate, simultaneously as vague, as definite, as remote, as present, as those furnished us by beauty or aroused by absurdity. That is from The Myth of Sisyphus by Camus. Hello and welcome to Lexicult. It's a podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and we also discuss a variety of occult topics. I'm Lex Estrada, and if you're hearing this, then this show, and magic for that matter, is for you, if you want them. There are a lot of different ways to be more free, and using magic or making space for a spiritual practice in your life can be one of them. As always, I don't speak for anybody but myself. Others can, will, and should disagree sometimes. How would we ever learn anything if we all agreed all the time after all? And like any reasonable person should be, I am willing to revise my opinions based on new evidence. So I'm super excited to share the conversation that I had with Dave Neal, who is a trauma specialist as well as a writer, actor, and theater director. You might have heard me read some of his stuff on the show in the past. Uh, Dave was kind enough to share his time and expertise with me for a conversation about how the brain and body are affected by trauma and how metacognition and neuroplasticity can be key factors in moving forward along the path of healing. It's my opinion that these things, metacognition and neuroplasticity, um, are huge factors in being an effective magician too, but I think this is a pretty uh, old and common idea. Anyway... Since we're talking about mental health stuff today, I think it's a good idea to note here that we're having this conversation in order to introduce some basic concepts about how trauma can affect people because it's super common and there are lots of ways that folks can help themselves start down the path to healing. This conversation is not at all meant to help people diagnose themselves or anything like that. If you're able to do so, getting help from a trained professional is always a very solid course of action um, if you're having a hard time with stuff. And we'll talk more about that in the interview, though. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to Lexicult. If you're into what I'm doing here, don't forget to tell a friend or write a review. You can support the show by giving me a few bucks on Patreon. Thank you so much to those of you who are already doing so. Fuck yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, a few terms come up in this one that I'd like to go over real quick. The first of one being the hormones adrenaline and cortisol. Okay, so 
in an online article entitled, Chronic Stress Puts Your Health at Risk, the Mayo Clinic notes this about these hormones. Adrenaline increases your heart rate, elevates your blood pressure, and boosts energy supplies. Cortisol, the primary stress hormone, increases sugars, like glucose, in the bloodstream, enhances your brain's use of glucose, and increases the availability of substances that repair tissue. Cortisol also curbs functions that would be non-essential or detrimental in a fight-or-flight situation. It alters immune system responses and suppresses the digestive system, the reproductive system, and the growth process. This complex natural alarm system also communicates with the brain region that controls mood, motivation, and fear. So yeah, that's just a little bit of uh, background about what those things do there for y'all. Um, the idea of neuroplasticity, as I said, is a key theme both here in today's episode and in magic too, I think. Neuroplasticity can be defined as the brain's ability to modify, change, and adapt in both like structure and function in response to experiences. And this happens over a person's lifetime. And it's sort of like, well, what would the point of like doing things like meditating be if this couldn't happen, right? Um, we also mention Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is an idea in psychology proposed by Abraham Maslow in his 1943 paper, A Theory of Human Motivation. Uh, he subsequently extended the idea to include his observations of humans' innate curiosity. His theories parallel many other theories of human developmental psychology, some of which focus on describing the stages of growth in humans. His theories, including the hierarchy, may have been influenced by the teachings and philosophy of the Blackfeet tribe, where he spent several weeks prior to writing his influential paper. All right, cool. Thanks, Wikipedia, for that definition. So the hierarchy is typically illustrated as a pyramid with five levels, the lowest two being basic needs, uh, physiological stuff like food and water and warmth, rest, safety, and security. The next two levels are psychological needs, like basic social stuff like love and belonging, uh, followed by the needs of like feelings of recognition and accomplishment. Um, and at the top of the pyramid is the need for self-actualization, um, achieving one's full potential and expressing the self via creative activities, things like that. From thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we can see that social needs are just right above safety and security. Um, in many cases, this might actually be intertwined, especially in situations where if somebody was cut off from their social structure, it could mean death. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson talks about this in Prometheus Rising, which we are actually reading right now for the book club on the Faith Blind Council Discord server. So check that out if you are into talking about books with other spooky nerds. I bring up the thing about social needs because this was something that we didn't get into during the interview, but that Dave did want me to make sure to let you all know is equally important to the stuff we do talk about. But I'm going to circle back around to that after the interview. Okay, so before we get into the interview, here is Dave and I reading a piece that he wrote called A New Way. I hope you enjoy it and the interview. Have you reckoned 40,000 square feet much? Have you reckoned your visa card much? What thoughts I have of you tonight, Sam Walden, for you have illuminated the rural pagan with consumer religion. Prophets line your well-lit halls, redeeming themselves in the glory of the discount, like stealing something back from God. Attention shoppers, may we have a moment of prayer. Save us this day some measly bread. 
Give us the glory of cosmetic salvation, O Lord, and lead us not to the disdain of our peers. Lao Tzu breaks down empty boxes. Shiva stocks shelves like a woman possessed. Buddha weeps in the appliance department, chokes his mantra down, and sells a new washer to Thoreau while Christ heals defective products in the returns area and keeps his eye on the clock for break time. He turns the fountain water into wine to take the edge off. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on my show and for sharing your cool poetry and your expertise with me and the listeners. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. Well, could you start off in the traditional way that I always have people start and have them introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about like how you got interested in like occultism or alternative spirituality or whatever you like to call what you do? Oh, good Lord. Um, yeah, let's see. I've always had some kind of thing with, you know, the extra physical. I don't know. I My earliest recollection is I preached um, when I was about four. You, you've heard of like, you know, the, the beauty pageant moms. Mm-hmm. There's there's also like uh, my kids going to be a preacher moms. OK. And uh, then I, 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 I got out of that in kindergarten because then, you know, I got to be the ringleader in the circus and. That sounds really intense. Like the beauty pageant thing, the the preaching thing as a kid, it all seems very intense. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's where I got my love of uh, performance. That makes sense for sure. You know, and and you know, you don't know what you're what you're talking about essentially, and you know, and you, and you realize how easy it is to to guide people and and manipulate them. People are easy to manipulate for the most part. It's you know. Yeah. Okay. I don't so- recommend it. I mean, I, I try to, I try to work against it, depending Not- on who it is. Not advocating for it, but it is good to oh, understand. Oh God, no! I so- mean, I you don't want to tell people because they'll go the wrong way with it. But yeah, I mean, there's books about it. I mean, I think it's-, it's important for people to understand it in so far as it allows you to recognize when it's being done to you. Right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it is, and yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. But, oh yeah. Um, okay. So you're. You're like a specialist in trauma. You also are, have experience in theater. Oh yeah, the list of jobs. I'm I'm a jag off of all trades. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I worked for 20 years. The last thing I did in a, in a room, aside from my own home, was um, I worked about 20 years in behavioral health, which is you know mental health services that you know are in the community rather than institutional. I mean, we did have group homes as well, but. Uh, and the agency I worked for was, for the most part, was the last chance for a lot of these folks. Is that like every time I got a kid, another agency has said, we can't deal with this. And so the stakes were high. So, and I did that for about, yeah, right at 20 years. Yeah, I've written poetry. I, uh, I have a master's degree. I don't know if we're going into credentials, but um, I'm, I'm a mass. I have a master of arts in social sciences uh, with a focus in social. And my bachelor's is in social. And then with this, you you picked a major social science, and then you got to pick three minors. And I did anthropology, history, and communications. Okay, I could see how all of those would sort of like dovetail nicely into occult study for sure. Right. Well, yeah, and you know, it's just what you're calling things like this whole thing, like practicing daily and committing to it. I'm pretty new to that, so I can't. I can't offer any expertise or any you know flamboyant bullshit on it but um 
<laughs> so yeah, I spent a long time doing that, and along the way, around the same time, I got involved in doing theater, and I've been doing that 25 years or so, I guess. And yeah, and, th and those all things connect to do, because we're talking about, you know, the development of consciousness. What is consciousness? You know, messing with those ideas. Doing it willingly. I mean, everybody acts. It's just knowing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But, um, so yeah, it all, you know, it's weird because I, I often come to things late, but then, you know, I, I, I brought some, some pretty weird stuff with me. So I've, I've got, a you know, some different directions to go in. Okay. Very cool. Hell yeah. I don't know if any of this makes sense whatsoever. No, I think I hope it seems like it does. <laughs> Hopefully it will. Um, cause it's making sense to me. Do you want to talk at all about like the Eris asteroid or anything like that? Oh yeah, I didn't even know about that. Um, I have a friend who's an astrologer. I would say like last summer or so, after me, you know, making fun of him, friendly wise for years, <laughs> I said, "Yeah, do my chart," you know. And so he does this. I'm a I'm a Sagittarius, you know, I guess textbook in a lot of ways, and you know, whatever. But then he mentioned that he's like. Do you do you know um do you know about the Eris asteroid? I'm like the what? He's like, well, she knows you. You you need to look into this, you know. And uh, yeah, it's fitting. I mean, there's been a lot. Of, I've I've had a lot of chaos. It's you know you can learn from it. Yeah, no, definitely. There's a there's a lot of things that are just beyond your control. Uh, wrapping your head around it is, but uh, there's there's major things in my life that have happened due to like seriously chaotic circumstances yeah i know for sure that makes sense well one of the reasons that i asked you to talk today was about the subject of trauma right because we mm -hmm. it's such a big thing i think and it always has been but like maybe even especially more so recently because you know as social animals i think it's been hard for everybody on some level going through or, or witnessing other people go through the sort of hardships and everything that sure. has been engendered by the pandemic and everything. So, like, mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could go ahead and, like, maybe give us, like, some definitions, a sort of introduction to, like, what what is trauma? Yeah, yeah. We'll have a lot of terms to discuss. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get our terms together because, you know, we get to talking about these things. We're talking about models. We're talking about types. We're talking about ideals. And it's easy to... Uh, put yourself into that, you know, and uh, I used to tutor a lot when I was an undergrad in philosophy and sociology, and that was kind of my thing, and uh, a lot of it was people just, because they disagreed with it, they couldn't, you know, get it, so it's it's easy to, to apply yourself, your personal life, which is not an abstract model, into abstract models, and I mean, that's part of our understanding, but I just don't want to give the intention that I'm black and whiting ideal things, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Like this is this is just meant to be like a little sample of like a buffet of ideas, as I was saying. So like, yeah, we're not trying to diagnose anybody or have anybody yeah, yeah, diagnose yeah, yeah. themselves or anything like that. Like this is just ideas for people to be aware of and think about and maybe look more into if they sound like they might be resonating or whatever. Right. In general, I, I, I can be pretty antagonistic. It's fun. And I, I'm trying not to do that for this because I don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> if, if that makes sense. We'll we'll talk some shit. But Oh anyway. sure. Yeah, we we can talk we can talk plenty of shit for sure. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, so trauma basically is uh and we're not talking about physical trauma. A lot of people um, you know, like uh 
TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, that's that's a whole different thing. I'm sure you could have some of the same, you know, neurological things, but these are different because when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about emotional thing, emotional trauma. Okay. So distinguish those terms to begin with. So, um, I mean, those can certainly relate to things like abuse. I'm not, you know, but, you know, in essence, we're talking about emotional trauma. Sure. And I had read that the brain processes like emotional pain in a sort of similar way as physical pain. So like. Right, right, right. Here's an an interesting thing. I mean, I won't won't be the finger shaker about meditating, but you need to you need to meditate. If you got trauma, meditate. Yeah, (laughs) you should. I mean, just meditate in general. I agree. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody should, but um, it might be more of a need for you if you got, it might be a good place to start Hmm. because what you're doing, you're healing your brain. You know, you got this little, she wraps around the back of your head. I call her Tiamat, you know, and that's, that's your subconscious there. And, you know, another interesting thing where I come from is, you know, I know the power of the subconscious for mental health. So, Hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're dabbling into weird areas. Sure. Anyway, so trauma is... Well, let's back up and talk about stress and anxiety. And we're going to we're going to put an objective model into subjective reality. So, keep that in mind. Okay. Don't don't confuse the map with the territory. <laughs> That's right. Everybody has a baseline, right? Baseline is your regular your day-to-day how you operate emotionally, right? Mhm. Baseline Again, that's subjective. I know people whose baseline is ready to kick your ass all day long. And I know other people whose baseline is you got to go, you awake? You know. Mm-hmm. So everybody has their own baseline, but that's kind of your general, regular, eh, here we go. So you have a baseline that's your general. And then you have factors, stresses that can affect your baseline before you even begin your day, right? Um, before you get out the door, if you're going to work, um, you woke up late. And then you spill coffee on your clothes after you finally got your ass dressed, you know. And so... By the time you get to work, you might be a different person if you don't just stop and take a minute and process your anxiety. Because another important thing about anxiety is it has chemicals involved. You said you you have a biology degree? Yeah, yeah. I've mainly focused on botany, though. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you know, there's better things to study than man. (laughs) (laughs) Plants are just so interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fast. It's like we're a car crash. But, um, so where was I? Oh, oh, talking about, uh, chemicals, right? So, uh, you, you have the induction, the introduction of a stressor. Okay. A stressor, again, that's very subjective because like, for instance, things that stress me out when I'm, you know, in my golden baseline, it takes a lot. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of shit go down. It's another thing we can talk about is how often you're accessing these things happening to you and, and, how they that can also affect your brain but so you get a stressor and your anxiety shoots up right Mm -hmm. what happens when your anxiety shoots up (laughs) because again this is a subjective thing and and there are some general things but because this is important if you're going to start i mean what you're going to get to is really trying to deal with your own anxiety levels and that like that can be all day work if you got trauma yeah definitely like i usually experience anxiety as a sort of like feeling of it's like an excitation of like um, it's like a yeah it's like a, an excitatory feeling of like, hyper arousal yeah um how about uh your heart rate is your heart rate increased? yeah the heart rate seems to go yeah. up maybe a little bit of tingling Pulse. confusion i think sometimes and it depends some people will sweat 
Um, some people will get cold, some people will get hungry, and some people will get physically ill as their anxiety increases. Hmm. I think I'm the last one. <laughs> you get physically ill? Yeah. Oh, if my it gets God. It's too yeah. bad. Yeah. I, I will just, my body's like, nope. <laughs> oh, you know, my, my good health is due to what I call my, uh, my supermodel diet in that um, I've had pancreatitis for almost 20 years. And uh, I used to, it's not so bad now because I'm better at managing things, but I used to throw up a lot, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that has stayed with me and that anxiety goes right to my stomach. And that's the first thing I notice. My stomach's upset. Have I eaten anything? Did I take my medicine? You know, because what you're talking about is, a, is an ability to identify what's going on. Mm. And why we want to stress here is because the earlier you can get it, the easier it is. Because once your anxiety begins to increase, then that's when you move to coping mechanisms, you know, good or bad. So the thing is, if, you, if, if you're a person that wants to learn some coping me mechanisms, there's a ton and something, something will work for you. You have to learn those when you're not in that state. As your anxiety increases, you can take in less information. For me, if I want to work on learning something, I'm going to meditate first. I'm going to make sure... I ain't got shit to deal with because distractions, as, as we've already seen, are, are a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. um, I can get distracted very easily and lost. So, um, you know, learning yourself. We're talking about knowing yourself, of course, you know, back to that one. So your anxiety increases. You enact some coping mechanisms, okay? You have coping mechanisms that work. Like personally, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want. That's oh, just how yeah, I Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've kind of developed several coping mechanisms like and I, I'm constantly trying to improve upon it though you know it's something I think it's something that you can continue to hone and oh continue definitely. to build your self-awareness and stuff for sure and you know it's you know everything's subjective it's you know coping mechanisms are the same way what what are considered to be some bad coping mechanisms that people that are that are really common that you've seen or is that like not a man that's relevant that's so question? subjective okay um like I could say for myself, with my anxiety, um, like getting like where I am having medical marijuana has been an immense help because I have to take so less drugs. I was, you know, horribly addicted to morphine. So um, everything's about, you know, the accommodations you can make and the improvements you can make. You have to try to find a middle ground and, and you really have to know, is this the day I'm fighting or is this the day I'm just going, okay, I'm just going to stay in the house today. But, um, so negative coping mechanisms, um, well, you know, drugs and alcohol are huge ones. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't drink or, you know, it's excessiveness. It affects your resiliency. It, it messes up your body chemistry. It fucks up your sleep cycles. And that's, you know, like if you've had a really stressful day, you know, maybe have a couple drinks, but like me, you know, if I'm going to drink, I you know, drinking with my pancreas is, you know, not a good idea, but, you know, I used to be very excessive with, with everything, you know, and, and those are things you need to know about yourself. So maybe popping a pill. Cause like I used to take like benzos and they did, you know, they would take that out, but then that could become a coping mechanism that I might be prone just to pop one every time little something wrong's going on, you know? Mm. And, uh, I mean, the goal is to give yourself skills. So, if you need to do that to get that down, that can be a positive, but burying yourself into like heroin, that's not going to do anything for you. You know, that's, that's what I mean. 
Um, that's a negative one. Uh, you may go into, depending on the level, you may go into, uh, you know, aggression. That's a coping mechanism that works a lot. And that's why, you know, it, it is used so often. Um, if you take like a, a kid with some behavioral problems, I used to work with a lot of those. And, uh, if I come and hit you, you're my teacher and I don't want to do something. And I know if I hit you, I'm going to be put away for an hour and I don't have to do any work. Some kids will use that as an opportunity just to avoid work. Then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That can become a coping mechanism. Uh, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. So it sounds like with the like substances, like what you're saying is that the difference between their use, like whether it's going to be possibly beneficial or possibly negative, like is that the like intent behind it. If you're doing this yes. so that you can get the skills that you need, then mm -hmm. it could help you. But if you're just doing it to ignore the problem and not confront it, then it's just going to make it worse. Right. And I mean, it could build a, a, a multi-billion dollar industry, though. <laughs> I'm such a shit. Anyway. No, no. I'm curious about about more about that, though. So, you know, how, how do you deal with things? I mean, some people, if they start to get nervous, like a go-to a go for me, if I'm not on top of myself, is I'll just start being an asshole. I'll just run everybody away. Mm -hmm. That stressor is going to be gone. I mean, I built a whole new set of stressors in the process, so it's mm -hmm. maladaptive, you know. Yeah. So how do you deal with things? What what could be some uh, positive uh, coping mechanisms? Uh, breathing. Oh, my God. Breathing is a biggie. I think one of my coping mechanisms is like a quick visit to my astral temple, my sort of like yeah, that my could, yeah. stronghold or whatever, you know, <laughs> like that can be a healthy escape, you know? Yeah. And even if it's just like, you know, you just close your eyes for a couple minutes and you can kind of do a reset that way if if that's like what you're into. I've heard some people even doing like a banishing um, as a way to sort of and it's sort sure. of like you know the, in the theory of like cognitive cognitive behavioral uh, psychology or whatever like or therapy rather the idea of like interrupting the pattern by like doing sure. something else, mm -hmm. which yeah maybe a banishing is perfect for if that's like something that you are already like versed in and like can do sort of without thinking about it you know. Oh, certainly. And so much is where you're coming from and, and what do you have in your pocket? What's your tools? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you know? And again, I mentioned that before. Learn coping mechanisms because some will work. There's just a million of them that deal with breathing, counting. Uh, a really good one for anxiety is noticing and recognizing things in your environment, very specific things. Name and identify five things. You've probably seen that in movies or heard of it. You know, if, if you're getting really anxious to stop. And look at something and then tell somebody what that is. And then look at something specific. You know, it's 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 guiding your attention. You yeah. know, these are you know, a lot of the same ideas that, you know, I'm reading about now while I'm, you know, reading Franz Barton and you know, and then you can pick up a neurologist and read the same thing, you know. I mean, there's so many similarities in the world and uh we just see it so determined to uh, stress our differences. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Well, and it doesn't Again, have not, to be not God's much. greatest work. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know. No, it's... you know, I, I, I'm being a shit, but you know, we also have to, to keep potential in mind. Um, you know, a, a thing I love with uh, quantum physics is, you know, that, that talk about, you know, the potentiality of things, especially energies and, you know, 
Because everything can change at any time. I mean, you know, how far are you willing to go with it? I can be pretty extreme and stupid sometimes, but you can always just say no to things. You know, it's hard. And again, how desperate are you? I'm very fortunate right now. I don't have to worry about a place to sleep or food. That's not always been the case, but there's a lot of people that they're, they're still at that level. I mean, Maslow, come here. You know, he's looking at the top of the pyramid down at us. But, you know, that bottom rung, that, that, that physical safety is important. Yeah, definitely. You know, these are, these are uh, you know, things that build upon each other. You can't, you got to build foundations. You have to, you know, you have to not be desperate. If, you know, we'll jump ahead and I'll tell you real quick that if you have trauma issues and you want to heal, you can, but you got to get out of that. Like, whatever that is, if you're in a relationship that is doing this to you, you got to get out of that. If you can't physically, you you got to do it in your head. I mean, you, you got to retrain your brain. And again, I've jumped ahead. So anyway. No, that's good. I think that that's a, yeah, that's a good uh, thing to have people think about for later, too, because I think that that's really important to think about. Like, you had mentioned... We'll get to somewhere eventually. Yeah, well, you had mentioned... um just so, right before we started the interview, this idea of like neuroplasticity, and there was this kind of misconception before that the brain was a, like a fixed thing after you got done growing up. And that is really not the case at all. So you do have the ability to change your brain. In fact, you're probably doing it all the time. Again, there's that potentiality. <laughs> Hell yeah. So when people are affected by trauma, like you had mentioned, like this kind of idea of desperation you know, manifesting in these kind of disruptive behaviors or these, you know, maladaptive behaviors or whatever it is, like how, like if we're, if like, if somebody is like going through trauma and like, we're, we're there, but we like, how would we like recognize that for in somebody else, like, and, and to maybe help them or like, you know, like, what would we be looking for? Um, well, you don't want to go around diagnosing everybody sure, or you'll sure, be sure. real busy, but if you have an idea that maybe, I mean, like if someone's told you about, you know, some heavy shit, there's there's certain things that if you go through them and you don't have some trauma from it, you might be a psychopath. Um, like a, a, a CEO, a CEO position would be ideal for you. <laughs> I'm just curious, like are psychopaths less prone to trauma? You know, that's 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 a very interesting concept. I would uh, speculate yes. But I don't know because then you get into the idea of what makes someone a psychopath. Is it, uh, you know, is it a brain chemistry from birth? Because, you know, with so many things, we have your genetics, your DNA, and then what it interacts with. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how you learn. You have a certain degree of understanding and then you access material, you know. Sure. Yeah, people who... Uh, Really jumpy people. Every time a door closes and your friend jumps out of his skin, you know, he, he, he might have some trauma. Um, it's interesting. I've noticed, like, my healing has gotten better because I'll be in a restaurant and I'll go like, wow, my back's to the door. You know, and for a lot of people, that's, that's not significant. But after a long, long time of never knowing if a door's going to, you know, swing open and what's going to come through it. It yeah. becomes good good thinking to not sit with your back to that door. I always sit with, I don't like to sit with my back to the door. 
I okay, totally well, get you. <laughs> you. You like to be in control of your situation. That's or at least aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any pets? Um, you can notice sometimes where they sit. Um, some A lot of times pets will sit in an ideal position in the house where they can see almost everywhere. It's true. You know, dogs are very notorious for finding that middle that middle spot. They're, you know, got some kind of internal feng shui going on there. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and as anxiety increases, if you don't have something that will – because the goal is put something that copes in, you do some breathing, you back up, you're like, Jesus, I'm being an idiot. Let's stop for a second. That's a really good thing to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. As it goes up and you can't get rid of it, you want to get back to your baseline or as close to it as you can. And again, these are these are general things from, you know, somebody pissing you off in traffic to, you know, something really scary happened to you. It's 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 levels. But if you get to a certain point and your anxiety continues, you start shutting down, you start having some changes in your in your brain chemistry and more changes in your physical appearance. Um, your body begins to transfer power. As, as your body feels a threat, now this threat, like in, if there's such a thing, let's not say normal, but in a neurotypical person, they react to a present threat. A trauma brain reacts to a threat that isn't there because, you know, of ingrainment from other threats. And those are often very real. You know, usually if someone has trauma, there's really good reasons for it. You know, it's not, you know, I'm I'm sensitive. It's... You know, um, I smell a certain smell and I pass out, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. And I I think actually like one way maybe to think about it too, to make it like understanding it better is to not say that this person is like, quote, damaged. It's just that they've learned something from their experiences that's not helpful to to like their everyday life, right? Because it is the result of learning, right? Like maladaptive behaviors work at some point or they wouldn't be used. Um, Behavior is not abstract. Behavior is communication. I worked with a lot of a lot of people who could not verbalize, and their behavior is how they communicated, and that's something that I learned from that that I took into acting. Behavior is not abstract. Mm. Um, I know we say things like, "Oh, they did this for no reason whatsoever." What you mean is, I don't know the reason. Those sure. are different concepts. You know, at the end of the <laughs> day, our language is awful. Indeed. <laughs> Oh, I was going to ask you just real quick, um, for those who aren't familiar with the term maladaptive, like coping mechanism, could you like maybe run through some of the like the more broadly recognized like maladaptive coping strategies? Uh, well, that's things like we were just talking about, um, you know, aggression, defiance. Um, I've heard self harm in there. Oh, um, sure, self harm can be a, can be a, a way to deal with uh, anxiety and trauma. Um, I think withdrawal is another one I heard. I don't know though. I'm not, yeah. Oh sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna get to your red zone. We're still building your anxiety, and now okay. that we're getting into the red zone, we'll get into a lot of that sort. Of oh, okay, cool. I didn't realize uh, that we were we weren't quite there yet. <laughs> I know, Jesus, it takes me forever. No, no, um, it's cool. So, like, okay, as this anxiety is building and this stuff is sort of like we're coming to a sort of like threshold with it. Okay, so. I'm not a psychologist, so uh, I'm going to skip some terms because I'm probably hazy on them. It's been a few years. But, you know, you're, you're, you're shifting into survival mode. Um, I mentioned about 
as you perceive a threat, your body is gearing to react to that threat. That may entail different things. Um, that may get to the point of nausea for a lot of people because a lot of bodies will empty themselves before, you know, like we're talking about you're getting to the point where you think maybe you're going to have to fight for your life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you get to that, that point. Okay. And another thing is you get tunnel vision. Anytime you have tunnel vision and it's not chemically induced intentionally, <laughs> that's probably a sign your anxiety's up or, you know, it's not like it's, it's not a medical or chemical thing. Mm -hmm. That's a very common thing is you get that, that tunnel vision. And to me, that's been an indicator. Okay. You're, you're getting out of control here. You can't see in your periphery. Something to think about related to there. If you're trying to get someone down, like you're talking somebody down who is in a trauma scenario in their brain, you would want to be directly in front of them because they have tunnel vision. Okay. You see what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We got, we'll, we'll get to trauma-informed care in detail later. Um, but okay. Anyway, so your brain starts shutting down. Uh, what? Kidneys? Digestive tract shuts down, pain receptors can shut down, you know, and then we have the introduction, you know, that adrenaline and cortisol, those, those two stress hormones, you know, I think everybody's at least pretty familiar with adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So adrenaline's like, you know, when you get all amped up and it's kind of like, ah, let's go. But like, what is cortisol? Cortisol comes with it. And again, I, I don't know uh, any bio details. You, you'll need a chemist, but it comes along with it and they're pretty much hand in hand. They're, okay. they're the stress hormones and they both do the same thing. And I, and I think cortisol might be a lot. Well, I know one thing is it, it, it puts serious strains on your, your immunity. Interesting. So if you're in a potentially dangerous situation, the more nervous you get, the more uh, you're stopping your body's ability to process COVID, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. things of that nature, things that are in the environment, you're knocking down your immunity system. The more that you get into the red, you're caring less and less about yourself, most likely. Yeah, I had also heard that like increased cortisol levels were associated with like lack of sleep and also like weight gain and stuff. Oh, yes. Kidney malfunctions. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, it leaves buildups that are not good for you. Like I know in your brain, it's bad stuff. But a thing to always keep in mind about those two things, adrenaline and, and, and cortisol is, is they're water soluble. So if you feel yourself getting juiced, and it's, again, not something that you've chosen to do. Um, <laughs> slam some cold water, man. Just drink some cold water. If you watch a lot of stuff, like if you see like disaster areas and, and the crisis management people come, they're handing out water left and right. There's reasons. And that's one of them is those hormones are water soluble. Okay. So like bringing somebody a hot cup of tea actually like is really helping them too. <laughs> uh, yeah, well... Cold, cold helps because of the sensory distraction. Oh, okay, okay. And what I was going to say, if you want to go really into it, drink some of that and make sure it's cold. Pour some right down the back of your neck and down your spine. And what that does is that activates your parasympathetic nervous system. And that's going to react to the, the changes. Like your kidneys are going to start working again. Um, you know, I remember reading in Franz Barden, he talked about those cold showers thing, and, and he did even mention kidneys. He mentioned some other things, but and, – and I believe that's where he's going with it hmm. because, you know, I, I've studied that from experience and reading uh, psychology stuff. 
you're getting your body back out of the emergency zone is what you got to do. Yeah, I know. That's a really like such a simple thing that you can do and so helpful. Like that's so cool. <laughs> there are a few things that they may help you. They may not, you know, mm -hmm. but they're always worth a shot. And uh, I'm always I'm always a cold water guy. Okay. That has worked a ton. Like if somebody's really wound up. First, you have the distraction. Distraction is really important to get people back down. Like for me, I use humor and that's, I've talked myself, I've laughed my way out of many ass kickings, you know, <laughs> um, I've, I've gotten a few because of my mouth, but, um, I might've gave one or two, but you know, the, what you're really looking at is you're trying to get out of the red. You're doing harm to your body. The more like just full on. And you know, that feeling, you know, you're hyperventilating, you maybe your, your fists are clenching mm -hmm. the full panic. It's. It's not good for you. Um, it stresses your heart. Oh, boy. We'll get to that later, I guess, if you want to talk about heart attacks. I had two of those. Man. So, um, so really, you're wanting to get that down. There are ways to be proactive about that, you know. One of those is learning some coping mechanisms. And, again, everything's subjective. It's amazing how often people can experience the same thing and how they process it differently. It's always fascinating. It just shows, you know, again, that. That central difference, you know, coming from the observer. So um, you can uh, work on your mental health strategies like that. You can rehearse. If you're going, and I've done this, I'm going into a stressful situation that I don't want to be there to begin with. And this usually deals with bureaucracy personally. Okay. So I'm going to walk myself through what could happen. Surprise is a big deal with anxiety and stress. Like when I did crisis, if I walked into a room with a dude that was escalated and he was about to get violent, I knew that going into the room. You know what I mean? That was my job and I was trained to do it. Mm -hmm. If you're just sitting in a restaurant and that happens, that's that's totally different. Yeah. So um, you want to get out of the red. And then when we're dealing with, you know, what we want to call, you know, clinical, clinical trauma problems, you know, which, you know, the, the highest of that being both, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder is a brain that becomes wired to fall back into that position. And it, it puts you into a constant state of fear. That's, that's a really big one. Again, back to desperation. And then a lot of is, again, surprise, thinking ahead of time. Um, I've gotten into a whole lot of insane situations that if I had thought about it ahead of time, and even if I was still going to do it, I would have been prepared. Like, that might mean, uh, shit, I'm going to take my car keys in case, you know, something happens or, I don't know. The less surprises that you can have, the better. I mean, there's fun surprises, but, I, I mean, things that are traumatic to you. So maintaining that, and then you will find, you know, that traumatic brain response can deal on um, situations again that were traumatic. I mean, they can be, I mentioned smells. Smells is a big one. Uh these sense memories of various types are very subjective. They can throw you right into that trauma state, into that fear state, into that state like when you were in a car accident and you survived it and you got out of the car, how you felt. You might go into that because, you know, somebody plays a song. Yeah. So that's serious trauma. Everybody's got some, you know, trauma. And, you know, what we're talking about is how does this affect your ability to get through your day kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, everything's not smooth. It's not easy. And, and there's something to be said for antagonistic change, you know. Um, but how much you can deal with 
is what you're dealing with. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. You know, I, I, I hope I'm, I'm making sense to some degree. <laughs> no, I think this is really good. Thank you. So, yeah, um, sense memory stuff is some, and that that's always a fascinating thing. Again, that, you know, can have crossover with doing uh, theater and stuff is sense memory. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I'll give you a good one. I, uh, if you want to hear a personal anecdote. Sure. Um, I spent, I don't know, a couple years in a specific hospital, basically. I'd be out for a week and then I'd be in for a month. And that went on for a long time. And that specific hospital used a specific cleaner, floor cleanser. Never, ever smelled it again. And the reason I know that is because years later, I went to a, huh, a crisis training run by that same organization and I walked into the elevator and I almost passed out and threw up at the same time for no reason but then you know within a couple seconds I was like holy shit that's what that it's that cleanser you know that's the only time in my life I've smelled it and I used to smell it constantly you know and uh and then as soon as I realized what was going on I got right back I was fine okay so sometimes you know learning what what trips your triggers is is really good, you know, trauma wise. I hope that's not too clinical. What trips your triggers? No, I um, think that's good. I think I think hopefully people are uh, <laughs> familiar with the concept of of being like triggered, right? Right, right. And and, and the day to day, somebody being an asshole isn't you know necessarily a trigger in in the trauma sense, and that can you know kind of fuck with that that concept yeah the way that things are used in the common vernacular aren't always like correct totally <laughs> right it's yeah yeah we again back to our wonderful language wouldn't telepathy be so much easier i don't know i mean that sounds like a lot <laughs> it is i'm telepathetic i tried god that was a bad one that was, <laughs> it was yeah. really bad <laughs> i'm proud of that one i'm putting that one on the mantle with my wacky. Um, oh, <laughs> okay, so would you like to take a bibliomancy break, Dave? Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, fuck yeah. So the way that this works is I'll have you ask a question and then I'll have you flip a coin and roll a 12-sided a die if you have one. If not, that's cool. I have that stuff right here. <laughs> I got a coin. Okay, perfect. Crap, Do I got to think of what question? I want to ask, don't I? Yeah, that's the only thing I don't have is the question. Shit, that's always the hard part. <laughs> um, well, I think a thing that I'm dealing with as newer to this is the amount of things i i have a whole system of learning it's it's that's another day but anyway you find yourself being pulled in so many directions because to tell you the truth so much of the stuff's just fascinating to me ask eris uh where where i should specialize what should my major be as i go forward this year in uh esoteric studies oh okay very fun all right well go ahead and flip your coin please Oh, it's an I Ching coin. Um, we'll call that a heads. Awesome. Heads? Okay. <laughs> All right. I will roll the die here. Okay. And it is number four. So it's going to be from the Book of Mormon. Stand by oh. while I grab that. <laughs> High level stuff. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> I have the Book of Mormon. Uh, it says another testament of Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, okay. Oh, Eris. What should Dave specialize in as he goes forward with his esoteric studies? Keep those outward performances until the time that he should be revealed unto them. Now they did not suppose that salvation came by the law of Moses, but the law of Moses did serve them to strengthen their faith in Christ, and thus they did retain a hope through faith unto eternal salvation, relying upon the spirit of prophecy, which spake to those of things to come. Thank you, Eris. Okay. okay. I th- yes, that's, that's yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm getting, you know, like outward performances, like you're, you're mm-hmm. a performer. Um, I'm getting yeah, some yeah. stuff about de- divination. Like maybe there's sure. some ways of t- tying those two things together. I don't know. I'll, I'll digest it. My, okay. often, often my uh, initial reaction is wrong. <laughs> and for anybody that's interested, this is from the book of Alma. This is verses, uh, it's part of verse 15 and 16. So there you have it. Okay, well, thank you. No problem. You know, the other one you did, the the first uh, one was was just dead on. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Well, hell oh, like the, all day long. That's it, man. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right. So you had mentioned that we could get into the topic of trauma informed care. Right. What does that mean? Well, it means being in, informed of trauma and providing care. I mean, like, but like in, in terms of I'm like. I'm trying to jockey for, you know, state level <laughs> politician. That's a very good question, Luxa. Um, no, it, it means being aware of the concept of trauma and, and using that as a, as a central way to proceed in treatment in both uh, the development of, you know, your treatment goals or whatever and the way you're going to do that. It, it's consciousness of that person's trauma. and. Yeah interacting with that person in a way that doesn't uh you know make it worse oh yeah okay so my friend who was on an episode a couple ones back yeah yeah i heard her mention you guys talked briefly about that yeah no i still had mentioned that she has this idea of like a trauma-informed practice so Mm -hmm. i'm I'm thinking that this is sort of taking these trauma-informed like care ideas and applying it to yourself as it your own magical practice goes like not doing things that you know might oh have yeah, triggers to you or you know things like that certainly if you want to work on you know your your triggers and things like that you can do that but it's a process so yeah don't especially um you know in in, in this kind of thing you need to be at that baseline you know you you need to be golden you can't uh you can't walk into you know doing ceremonial magic with like ah, i don't I, I you know yeah and you so <laughs> in traditional witchcraft there's a saying that's like better to fall on my blade than enter the circle with the drop of fear in my heart right like sure, which sure. Is kind, of, it's kind of hardcore i like it i don't know <laughs> and, and, and shit you can be afraid and not show it you know <laughs> yeah no i know it's just it's i love i love the hardcoreness of it like i'd rather fall that's on my blade than do things yeah, wrong that's, that's, <laughs> that's fucking metal that's <laughs> pretty metal <laughs> That's that's like '86 Metallica metal. That that might, <laughs> that might dig into Slayer territory. Actually, I mean that's good shit there. That's golden. I saw Metallica perform once when I was younger, and it was really cool. They had cool pyrotechnics, and they had a dude ride a motorcycle through a ring of fire. I've seen them many times. <laughs> 
No, they're, they're excellent performers. I, I'm not, you know, musically is a different story. But man, I saw them about 10 years ago and they were amazing. Yeah, this was quite a while ago. I think I was in middle school. <laughs> and I right, thought it right. was the coolest fucking thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's a pretty good show i'm sure i i saw them <laughs> justice for all was the first time oh yeah i i forgot to ask you um after the the bibliomancy uh, if you have any thoughts about divination this is something that i usually like to ask folks it's something you know again it, it's fascinating i i don't practice it a lot like the bibliomancy thing you know that's that's probably appealed to me more than anything you know i spent some time like you know, trying to at least understand the tarot, and and it's just you could spend your life doing that. I mean, it's wow. Yeah. You know, so I don't I don't do that. I mean, I don't know if, if something's important. I might like before I took a recent vacation. I have my friend who is like reads tarot cards. Like, do you mind doing a little reading for me? You know. Mm -hmm. I like doing kind of general. Like I asked you about kind of general direction, kind of things like that, but. I don't really have much of a system. I, I, I like the bibliomancy idea, and I actually want to um, maybe – because I've done that some with the Bible just since you were actually my introduction to it. Hell yeah. Yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten some pretty you know spot-on stuff. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, and the Bible's like the classic way to do it, I think. I right, mean, yeah, you know. that's, that's where it comes <laughs> One from of old them. school. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, that's very cool. It's a, yes, a fun and a free thing that you can do at home. <laughs> right, free, yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious if you're, if or how your experience as a mental health care professional has informed or like influenced your practice. Certainly that would be, uh, which, you know, we didn't get into yet is, you know, metacognition, you know, which is, it's so meta. <laughs> it is very meta. <laughs> And it is kind of what it sounds like, you know, if, if you break it down, it's, you know, it's analyzing your own thoughts. It's, it's the ability to analyze your own thoughts and behavior. It's like, how often do you stop in the middle of something and go, what the fuck am I thinking? That's metacognition. Okay? Okay. That's the kind that I usually have anyway. I'm curious, like, semantically, if you think they're, like... How, could we like look at metacognition and introspection next to each other and see if we think there's? Oh, some... certainly, certainly, there's some parallels there. Okay. Um, metacognition, you might want to break things down into more detail, kind of be real, more analytic. Yes, I was just about to say. Okay, that makes sense. Hell yeah. Yeah, which is not. I'm, I'm not a big fan in general, but yeah, yeah. It's a place for it, though, right? You know, I don't know. The ability to analyze your own thinking is is, is very important. In general, but that certainly informed my my development. Like I'm, I'm also, you know, basically treating myself for trauma here. So, yeah, certainly, I know. Um, like I mentioned, I, I, I do work on knowing myself. I like to know how I am better equipped to learn and be creative. A lot of that has to do with times. I have a, I have a lot of things to manage. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I mean, at home all day. I don't know. I mean, there's still things to manage. Like, I don't know. Sometimes for me, just managing the very basics of like making sure I get enough food and sleep and exercise oh can God, be a yeah. fucking chore. It's back to Maslow. And yeah, and it's exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that it's easy to get stressed out and forget to eat or like lack sleep and, and like. It's just not realistic to expect yourself to be psychologically healthy if you're not giving yourself the opportunity to be physically healthy too. It it's so important, and uh, 
these are again things that I can tell you having, you know, not done that. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, for a long time, like, how fast does this go and how much of this can we do was, you know, a guiding principle. And, you know, like yeah. Blake said, the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom, but maybe not in the way you think. I don't know how many times, you know, I've been sliced open at this point in my life by professionals as well as people that didn't like me. I mean, people made really good money to, you know, slice me open. And, uh, wow, I mean, I, I really dig Eastern things, but if you have a heart attack, man, Western medicine, they'll just, they'll fix you right up. Holy shit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. amazing. Again, the potentiality of what we have and then, eh, what are we doing with it? Um, really, uh, being patient and with yourself, taking it really easy on yourself as much as you can. I mean, that's always a line. Everything is, is, you know, swings. There's the polarities, but you know, I, I know when I'm like, okay, I just, I just gotta not do anything today. Um, like tendency I have is just to go full bore into anything that I get interested in. And part of my practice has been making sure I'm there for my kids, my family, you know, those kind yeah. of things, because I can just sit in and go through a book, you know, that's fine. I don't care. You know, it's, it's easy to, for me to just not pay attention to those other things that are very important. Um, balance is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Like Phil Hine, I think, said, like, you know, a magical practice isn't about escaping from the world. It's about being more effective in the world. Right, right. Um, You know, there's there's lots easier ways to escape. Trust me, I've done most of them. I think most people just, like, do it with media and stuff, it seems like. Oh, certainly. And everything's what you take into it. I mean, any technology is neutral. It's It's the jackasses, you know, behind it. <laughs> You know, me, what am I doing with it? You know, <laughs> there's there so many things. It just depends in what direction. And there's elements of my personality that can be difficult. I, You know, I've joked about I'm, I can be pretty antagonistic. Now, theater and, you know, writing poetry and those things, very important for me to direct that shit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I love playing villains. Um, I love playing despicable motherfuckers. That's fun, you know. And and that's that's hard for some people. <laughs> I'm curious, like, what is? Do you th have you ever thought about like what it is about those characters that you like to play? Like, I, mean, I hear that you're saying that it's like you know you're expressing part of yourself in a healthy way. Like, is there more than that though? Like, oh, I I, I don't know. It's uh, I I've learned, you know, I, I I can be I'm very a tendency towards antagonism. And, you know, the way I've dealt with that is antagonizing myself in directions that are improving instead of the other way. Hell yeah. No, I love that. So you just, you know, you got to grab yourself by the throat sometimes, you know. Yeah, I call it sneaking up on myself. <laughs> yes. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> That's how I get lots of stuff done. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I do lots of, lots of nice pep talks, yeah. <laughs> You stupid bastard. Seriously? Yeah, well, for me, it's like, all right, I, like there's something like, or maybe it's something I want to share that I've made, but I'm like really nervous about doing it or something. Right. Like I'll just sneak up on myself and I'll just get it out there and then I'll try to forget about it. Right. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to attend to it. Um, <laughs> Otherwise I'll obsess about it and be like, oh, should sure. I take it down? Should I take it down? Oh God. It's so, like, yeah. So. <laughs> and there's, a, there's a lot in fuck it. You know, there's, there's yeah. that's improvement. Um, yeah. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> to me, you know, like taking 
to me, laughter is, you know, humor is, like, central. I'd be dead without it. I have, I can have a very dark sense of humor, and I try to, like, I've gotten better about, you know, paying more attention to my audience. The thing with laughter, you know, I, I've used it a ton, like, in my work with people who, you know, we're having a bad time, and uh, it takes power from something. Yes. To point and laugh at it. Yeah. Genuinely. Well, yes, this is a very important concept, actually, in, in Chaos Magic and in other places, too. Like, this idea of, like, banishing with laughter or, like, taking the power of something with laughter. Oh, Jesus, it's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> a lot of shit, if, if I forget that I'm in the middle of it, it's hilarious, you know? It's all very hilarious. Like, I mean, and we can touch on this, too, a little bit. Like, when you really, like, step back and look at shit, it's fucking absurd. And, like... It's so stupid. It's so funny. Like, I don't know. It's all quite a hilarious joke. But yes. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that Camus book because he talks about <laughs> okay. that, uh, that we'll coyote. Part two with Camus. <laughs> you know, definitely feed the right wolf, but the coyote's got to fucking eat too, right? Sure. So. Yes. Coyote's an uh, important symbol to me, actually. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess if I drew my consciousness, it would be a... a you know, that snake that ate itself, but it would be a coyote and a leprechaun both trying to dominate each other, you know? <laughs> Don't Google that, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have a script idea now. Hang on. I just can't get this image out of my head now. <laughs> the ability to laugh. You know, I said nothing about sexual domination, so that's on you, lady. Hey, it's okay. I will. I'll. I'll own wherever my fucking mind took it. It's good. Fine. Do that, and then take it even further. <laughs> Fuck you. This is too far. Let's see. And to hear more dumb jokes about sex, listen to the Smuts Up podcast, where me and my friends make dumb jokes about sex. I gotta listen to that one. I gotta that one. <laughs> Shameless plug there. I used to get a lot by uh, people in relationships. Is uh, you just had to say that one last thing, didn't you? You had, to, you had to take it too far. Well, how do you know where too far is? Give me a map. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I think maybe we could talk about, like, you know, reading a room and stuff, like those kinds of abilities that you can develop, like, from doing performance art. Like, that's it's kind of like you're building on your skills of, like, empathy, right? Like, you're... You're, it's like this sort of abstract way of like assessing the mood of the room. I do think it might be a type of empathy, though. Oh, sure. Well, the thing, a thing I learned with uh, acting, you know, intentional acting, I, I learned from a, a, a dude who's uh, he's pretty mystical, um, hell of a water, like a diviner with the rod diviner. Jeez. Oh, cool. Very right. Like, I've never seen anybody do it like that for yeah, real. Yeah, that shit's cool. It really is and, fucking And, you know, cool. he had my kid doing it with him. I'm like, Holy shit, that oh, yeah. is, you know, that that was not a hand manipulation. Oh, yeah, you can see you, the waters. I mean, it's hard to argue with results, right? <laughs> like, Right. Well, then he, he said, you know, to my kid, here, take this and hide it in the yard and I'll find it. Very cool. You know, and he learned from, uh, he used to go up to the Seneca Reservation in New York and study. But um, so where the fuck were we now? Well, um, let's see. <laughs> So 
so oh, was, we were talking about humor and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about humor. We were also talking about metacognition, but I think we sort of like hammered home um at least some of the definitions and stuff about that. But like Okay, also with metacognition is you can you can also consider that as I I, meant it, I mentioned earlier about your stress hormones and the changes in your body. If you can develop your consciousness level of that as, you know, a good indicator, that that will help you too, like with with your day to day. Like I know if I get a certain feeling, I'm I'm being dosed with adrenaline. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I feel a certain way, I am now at that I can. Oh shit! Okay, let's just let's step back again. Depending on the situation, if we're gonna go full bore, we have the chemical readiness to do it. But you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But like metacognition, think about what you're thinking about. You know, I I think a lot of us are very neurotic and obsessive, and you know that ability to just pull out of something that you know you're driving yourself nuts with and just realize you're driving yourself nuts with yeah um i worked a lot uh with uh folks who who really didn't have that they had uh intellectual disabilities and uh developmental delays and uh they didn't know how to do that you know be grateful if you have that ability yeah because it's really important yeah i've read that it's um more difficult for people who are neurodivergent to do that sometimes right so yeah i mean uh, yeah but having like the strategy and having like you know the sort of game plan of like you know learning these coping mechanisms these like you know whatever the thing is having that in place so that like when the feeling approaches you know exactly like what to do right or yeah at least you know a, a general way to proceed Sure. Yeah, it's it's really you know um, I think if if you do have serious trauma issues and and you have the ability to do it, I think you should you know try to you know see somebody professional just because of objectivity is an issue. Yeah. Um, maybe you have a good friend that's you know that can be objective with you, and that's a very difficult thing for a friendship. You know. Yes, yeah, so they're asking a lot of that person because you know, being a caregiver in that way, it can take a huge emotional toll, right? So when you're asking your friend to do that, you're at, it's a really a big ask, you know, if you're doing it all the time, right? Like it's not, it's, it comes to a point where it could be like unfair, right? Also, we talked about trauma, but there's various types. And one of the things you have to be uh, conscious of is, you know, um, first you have the major trauma. That's what a lot of people think of, you know, something just insanely nuts happen to you and then you have uh your cumulative stress trauma and that's just those little things all the time that's uh that's what a lot of media feeds on is your cumulative stress keep you (laughs) clicking keep you clicking okay yeah yeah. i'm not saying it's intentional but it exists well I think that there's a lot of like stuff that advertisers do that does intentionally like prey on people's insecurities. And I do think that that's stressful. If you ever want to go there, I did my master's thesis on consumerism and as development of personality and marketing. And that's, that's a whole nother issue. But yeah, you're, you have no idea how bad that kind of thing is. Interesting. Oh, I'd love to talk more about that with you sometime. The greatest sure. minds of social science work for marketing and advertising. And I'm not saying those things are evil, 
but our well, American <laughs> way of things sometimes is, you know. It's, sure. Hey, I we, mean, we could, I, and, we could make a little more, you know. We yeah. Could, uh, well, exactly. Like get I mean, a little it, more. That's the that's the game that's being played. So that would make total sense that that's what happens. So like I don't know. And it's a kind of metacognition to recognize. <laughs> yes. You can recognize that. Again, like I said, you can just say no. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that. And again, it depends on, on what you can do for your own your own well-being. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of choices if you're going to – if you do have trauma, like I said, try to get help with it. But, you know, things you, – you're going to have to work on shit. It's not – it's simple maybe, but it's not easy. Sure. You're talking about, you know, the la most of the data I see – and this is the good news. Again, I mentioned earlier, back to it, about having to get out of that situation because um, the brain can heal. But a really core thing there is um, at least a year of no further aggravation of that trauma. That's, that's like a key element. So you can't be in the traumatic situation and heal from it is what I'm saying very longly. Okay. So, yeah, you need a, a, a year away from this traumatic situation or whatever it is it's to, to, like, reset? Yeah, you can expect for another year that your brain is still going to develop as if you were still in the trauma. It takes about a year for your brain to kind of slow down and go, oh, oh, okay, okay. Okay, so, like, I know this might be, like, sort of a cheesy question or whatever, but there's, like, this kind of old adage about, like, you know, breaking up from a ro romantic relationship where it will take you like three times as long as you were with the person to get over them. And I'm wondering if it's what sort of related to what you're saying. Well, sentimentality is a different thing. <laughs> okay. But I mean, you know, but having your heart broken could be a traumatic experience for some people. Oh, right? oh, certainly. And you know, it's, it's one of many people's first. Sure. You know, and, and what do you do with it? And that's, what do you do with this shit is, is a big deal in, in trauma is, uh, I think I, we mentioned that earlier about, you know, your, how often is this happening to you? Because, you know, your brain, your brain is, is stationed to, to day walk and not think. Mm -hmm. It's managing all kinds of things so you don't have to. It keeps you alive. <laughs> keeps the lights on for you. <laughs> but again, you need to be able to, to line it up. Um, a big thing with... Uh, you know, people misunderstanding each other is, you know, making a jump in conversation all the time because your brain does that. Your brain is just getting this conversation over with already. You know, it's all, you know, I, I know this person, they're this kind of person, and that means that they're that. And that can be political. You see it a lot with, with mental health diagnoses, okay? Once a kid, like in school, gets a label and he gets staff around him all the time, that's going to change how the world interacts with that kid, you know? Yeah. So yeah, vicarious trauma is um, the one I did not mention yet, and that is taking on other people's trauma. Like what you were talking about is you know telling your shit to a friend. If you work in high stress jobs, you don't want to do that shit. The last thing that I did, you know, is come home from my job and then like lay that on my family. You know what I mean? And you like I don't know if we actually like went into it like your part of your job was like going into these very high pressure situations like where something was the stakes were very high right well if, if my beeper rang it was like son of a bitch yeah so yeah I was a crisis guy um not not as much like 
people jumping off of ledges. I mean, I worked with our clients at my agency. You know, we had a very specific client caseload with very specific issues, and that helped because you could specialize. Mm. And so, yeah, I would be on call if they're, you know, maybe they're at the store and they've decided to throw a temper tantrum and, you know, punch somebody. I had, oh, man, talk about defiance. I had a girl punch a cop in the face. Oh, it was hilarious. I wanted to laugh so bad. <laughs> I mean, she, she's like an 11-year-old girl, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, somebody in a big juvie detention center. She's like 70 pounds stinking wet and just... Man, that girl had balls. Just cracked him right in his damn nose and didn't think twice about it, you know? You know, that kind of thing might happen. You know, that's, you know, I've, I've definitely, it's very minimal. A lot of times, like, with the client caseload I worked with, they were just geared. They had um, some disabilities and a high level of trauma, and they would just go into that panic mode, you know? Mm -hmm. And the better you knew them, the easier it was. Yeah. So, um, you know, people are subjective. Another thing is, you know, if you're close to someone who's dealing with this kind of stuff, you need to know about it and know if they have coping mechanisms because it, it might be your job to remind them. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that there can be like the way that I've experienced anxiety has sometimes felt like a sort of feedback loop, right? Like it's like, oh, it is. builds it and builds and builds. Stuff. And yeah. like, you know, uh -huh. if you don't have a sort of escape route planned, then you, you could just end up really getting yourself worked up and shit and, Oh, for, it's possible. Uh, sometimes for uh, over, like in my case, like over, like literally nothing, and like it just ends up to me like wasting a lot of my time and like yeah, it's always the less stupid bullshit. And, yeah, like just the, the I don't know. <laughs> so and, and it's what that is. laugh about it afterwards, but it's like it sucks while it's happening, you know, like yeah, right. Well, what that is is you know you got uh, you think of your oven, you know your front burner, back burner. And you, you get those little bitty issues on the front burner, and you're dealing with them all the time, and they annoy the shit out of you. But it's probably due to that back burner of, you know, those things that already fucked up your baseline hours ago that you didn't, you know, that you're still in the middle of in your head. Mm -hmm. And then you get a new thing to feed your anxiety. And, yeah, man, it's, you know, it's like misery loves company. Anxiety is just going to feed on itself unless you can you can get out of it. Now, how you do that is totally your thing, you know, find something that works for you. I think I read um, somewhere that the like stress, you know, we were talking about these like stress chemicals and stuff and they are water soluble, but like, you know, the, the things that we have as animals or whatever, like we have them for a reason, right? These are like, you know, survival mechanisms too, that they might not serve mm -hmm. us in these new contexts that we find ourselves in. Like if there was a threat back when we were living more, I guess, in a situation where this could happen more regularly is like if there's like a lion let's say in the grass like that's the threat mm -hmm. that you perceive and like right. you get these like you know all these hormones are going like you're you're ready to run you're ready to fight or flight or um freeze or whatever the like response is and like you would do that you would like you would run you would fight you would do the thing mm -hmm. and then you would turn return back to the safety of your your home and so like, but we, we don't have until that the next lion showed up. Yeah. yeah, we don't have that like pattern anymore of like, you know, having this like stress and then having this action to do and then returning back to this place of safety. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a way to extrapolate on, on your uh, symbol there um, with, with a trauma brain, that trauma brain is going to have the lion response to a small kitty. Yeah. So that's what's happening, you know. Totally. And again, we're, we're geared to over respond to things, you know, it's. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense, though, like, in some ways, you know, if, 
if there is a threat, uh, even if it's an existential threat, and it's recognized, like, you know, it does make sense, like, from a survival standpoint that it would be a thing, you know? Oh, sure. It makes makes total sense if you don't have your metacognition on to go, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, that's not a threat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, coming yeah, coming back to that idea of metacognition and and introspection and how do you get there? A lot of times for people it's through meditation. Oh, certainly, and that that gives you an opportunity to start familiarizing yourself with the feelings in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, that's again, like I said, as important as metacognition is is notice, you know, your body when you start to go off the rails. So, have you noticed that people who are dealing with a lot of stress and I mean I know that this is like pretty well established that like exercise can be really important in like treating depression and stuff like that is this the, the same case with like other challenges oh certainly the thing you know with those stress hormones if you can't water solulate them out go work them out yeah go work them out um you know and whatever that could be very physical you know or it could be low in yeah you got to get the energy out that that energy is going to be there and you gotta do you gotta do something with it. Yeah, I sometimes I've spent like fifteen minutes like punching a pillow as hard as I can, you know, depending on what the situation oh, is. Yeah. And you know, like you know, the concept of you know getting yourself to nos just nos is ex- exhausting yourself, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, breaking through that. And uh, I found dance like I mean like resetting with music and dance like the physical mm-hmm. activity coupled with like the you know intellectual stimulation or whatever of the music it seems to be good oh sure yeah every everybody you know again so much of it is finding what works for you here's here's these ideas now you know and it's just like you know learning these things you pick up a book and and here's these ideas and what are you going to do with them totally and uh you know patience is uh, you know if you spent 20 years developing a, a, a shitty thing about yourself for lack of a better term you know this is shitty now i got to get rid of it mm-hmm. that's not gonna happen overnight <laughs> sure you know, and and you got to be patient. Like I really uh, appreciated in in uh, six ways. He he mentions that several times. You know about being and and maybe I'm just talking to myself here. But you know you you can shut yourself down by pushing yourself. You know you 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 can't grab the river with you know with a clenched hand. You know, yeah. hell yeah. And and that's one of those lines that you know are, that can be hard to walk. <laughs> yeah. Again, I may just be speaking to myself. I no, I think that I think that that's true for. For a lot of us, too. And I think that even celebrating the small victories, I think, can be really important, too. You know, like you were saying earlier, like maybe for other people, it wouldn't be a big deal to recognize that you can sit with your back to the door in the restaurant. But that's a victory. And like it should be celebrated. And and like because reinforcing that stuff by, you know, giving yourself permission to like, you know, feel good about it, I think helps. Sure. Yeah. Again, back to metacognition. (laughs) Totally. Today's term. (laughs) Maybe I'll call this episode metacognition (laughs) because it's it is important. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's it. It's a very it's a very central thing. Uh, Keeping your head about you. um, And still on this topic. Okay, I was going to ask you too. So a lot of things that people do in a magical practice can like like things like ego magic. They can have the effect of being destabilizing and they they're intentionally sort of destabilizing because you're you're doing these things to move yourself away from where you are to a new place like but that's a 
a sure, difficult sure. process, right? Sometimes. Sure. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts about how things like metacognition might help in keeping people from like um, going around the bend is a turn that I've heard. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not known for my level headedness. Um, but, uh, you know, as a Sagittarius, my tarot card is uh, temperance, <laughs> and all of my friends get a big fucking laugh out of that. But, um, yeah, I, I can't speak to that concept in particular, but, like, personally, these, these concepts we're talking about are on my mind all the time. They have to be, you know, at this point. I have to establish metacognition in myself. First of all, nobody else is going to do it. These aren't these aren't things that you can just read. You know, you have to, you have to transmutate yourself a little bit. And I could see how, you know, those concepts, you're also doing the same thing, you know, transmutation. Um, I would say walk, walk with balance. Be careful about buying into your own bullshit. There's a difference between confidence and, you know, standing up on a ladder so somebody can kick it out from under sure. you. And, and often that can be yourself, too. We're getting to more desperation culturally, and I don't see this changing. And I think people should try to get their their self balanced as well as they can. So I was wondering, like, I have a few questions from listeners and somebody had mentioned the Tetris effect, which is sort of like this idea that people can play these word games or like, you know, these like simple games really close to the time when a traumatic event has occurred. And this can sort of interrupt that trauma from like, I don't know, sinking in all the way. Yeah, interruption and distraction. Um, that that term is new to me. Like I told you, I just started uh, looking into it after you mentioned it. But I, I'm familiar with you know distractionary concepts. And then you know Tetris may be getting into some level of you know certainly spatial, and uh, it may put your brain enough to work that you're not processing that. Again, I I don't have the background on that specifically, but I totally see how it works. Um, distractions. And interruptions are a central importance. I, one of the things that I am prone to is overthinking, which is like when you think oh, things yeah. too much. I didn't realize that this was actually something that was like a pathology maybe until I started talking to people about it. And now I realize that, yes, this has been detrimental to me. Like, but yeah, so like, and, and finding a way to distract yourself from these like spiraling thought patterns is you know because what can end up happening is like by going over this stuff over and over again in your mind as you kind of like hit on like you end up kind of like re-traumatizing yourself you're like making yourself go through it over and over again oh certainly certainly and again you know there be patient and, and you know be mindful of yourself that it, it's detective work you know trying to get to why you may behave the way you do but you know, if you're starting to do the work, you're going to see, you know, whether you're successful or not in a hurry. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and f like, I like the, the analogy of detective work because like discovering these clues and like, or like coming across something is like, oh, like that's why that fucking bothers me so much. Like that weird thing that people do that they don't mean that's like and in any way bad, but it's just some weird thing that I can't fucking stand. Like I get why that bothers me so much anymore and I can just like let it go, <laughs> you know, like. Right. And. And you can take that to when you deal with trauma with those kind of sense memories, you know, if you can get to the bottom of it sometimes, um, like there, there's certain things that will, you know, elicit a, a response in me, you know, and, and the first thing I have to do is why is this happening? 
you know, what, what is it, what is it about this situation? You know, what's different now? Um, anything, anytime, you know, something like that happens, you, you want to go to the step before and that's, you know, that's detective work. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what's the uh, forensics of my emotional arc here? Yeah, definitely. So we touched on this topic a little bit before, but like in terms of like the physicality of some of this stuff, somebody had brought up the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Vessel van der Kolk. It's, I guess it's like a, a thing about the, like um, the effects of trauma on the body and like how you need to do like physical, like body work to expunge some of this stuff. Oh, sure. You know, I did mention about stress hormones and stuff, but yeah, I mean, trauma will, will reorganize your brain. It will you know, if you put your body into a full fight response or full panic response, you have, you know, fight, flight, freeze, um, protect and dissociate. So you got a whole thing, a whole kind of option, different host options you can go to. No, certainly, um, you know, I, I didn't mean I did hope that I gave that, you know, there is a lot of physical issues dealing with, you know, putting your body into that kind of stress all the time and certainly uh, exercise. To be a, you know, in, in many ways, you know, um, we think about using our muscles and making them stronger, and our brains work exactly the same way, you know. And that's, you know, that's newer information, you know, relatively, because you know it wasn't that long ago that you know, well, by the time you're three, we we have made like we have done horrible, we've made horrible clinical decisions that affected a lot of people's lives based on that kind of misinformation, you know. Yeah, definitely. If a kid's six and you're convinced that if they didn't learn this by three, they're not going to learn it, guess what? You're not even going to try to teach it to them. Yeah, you that's know? so shitty. Like, I mean, yeah, everybody must fit in this weird box that we've created out of arbitrary information. Uh, whatever. Yes. <laughs> the bullshit machine does not rest. <laughs> so another person had asked about the effects of trauma on memory. And, you know, you had mentioned the satanic panic being a thing to me before, like when you were growing up. And I know that these kinds of things like false memories and implanted memories Mm -hmm. and the trauma associated with them was kind of a theme and all of that. Like, I was curious if you have any thoughts about that. Well, I mean, you know, memories can be false. I mean, you know, we are perceptive and and there are uh, there are mental processes, emotional processes, tools that our brain might use to um i've dealt a lot with real you know genuine suppressed memories i'm not talking about uh michelle remembers bullshit i remember reading that book when i was a kid i'm talking about like i mentioned to you about getting that in that elevator suppressed memory like genuinely i think a lot of times if people are starting this kind of practice and they have trauma issues they they do have to know that you know that you're gonna have to deal with some shit you know yeah I have the feeling this isn't the kind of thing that attracts people who just want everybody to solve their problems, I would hope. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think that, like, anytime you, you go under these kinds of, like, spiritual introspective kinds of journeys, like, you're asking to know yourself better, and that's not always an easy thing to do, right? Right, and and that journey, again, depends on your level of desperation, too, you know, what what what, what can you know about yourself at this time? Uh, there, there are some things that are that are really hard to come to terms with. I consider like morning meditation my calisthenics mm-hmm. for the day. That's my stretches. <laughs> you yeah, know? I think a lot of people do. I, I think that that's actually pretty common. Like I, I, I skip a day meditating. I notice the difference hugely. Oh my god! Yeah, it's not like I, I've read people like I have to meditate every day. Yeah, I'm like I'm 
shit, I didn't meditate yet. That's going to interrupt me going about my day because I'm going to think about when can I finish all this shit and go home and do Yeah, that. or just, I don't know. It helps to kind of clear the cobwebs and stuff. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know, and there's uh, personal things there too in developing your practice. You know, I take I take quite a few medications, not as many as I used to. And uh, like I ideally meditate before I take my morning medication because, well, you know, I'm on like three blood pressure meds you know i'm i'm on all these things i don't i don't take any uh like antidepressants or anything or anti-anxiety meds aside from you know marijuana but uh i try to do my meditation before my body is reacting to all the morning chemicals you know what i mean yeah yeah so we've talked a lot about professional stuff and hopefully we've given people some ideas to think about regarding trauma and stuff I was hoping to ask you a little bit about some of the poetry that I've, because you have shared some of your poetry with me and I've shared it on the show because I love it. It's very Eresian. It's Oh, thanks. It's fun. <laughs> I love it. So um, I was wondering if you want to talk a little bit about like your creative process with some of that stuff or like maybe some of the things that have inspired you or whatever. Oh, sure. First, there, there's uh, those those wheels are turning again. You know, I've been, I spent a lot of time just dealing with uh, theater type creativity and man I'll, I'll share something with you when it's okay. done but um my process i guess began out of need because i needed a way to not uh just burn down everything um i finally got you know talk about trauma and exposing getting away i had i was about 20 and i moved away from you know when you have that daily trauma you're not going to get any better and that was the first time i actually was able to you know, emotionally conceive of things. And, uh, yeah, I just really clicked initially with Whitman and Bukowski, you know, I got to have duality. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, uh, I responded a lot to it and, you know, for a long time I didn't, I didn't even write it. And I was thankfully kind of coerced by a friend into, you know, actually sharing it with anyone. But, uh, so you gotta get past that. I just, I read a lot. Uh, there's, there's a lot of great, you know, a lot of great poets you should read if you want to be a poet, you know, just, and there's, uh, there's good if you want to get into, I used to do a lot of exercises with poetic forms, like just try to write a poem in a specific form and see what you can do with that. Just taking a lot of different things and putting them together and creating something from it has been like, Oh, that's a really central thing. I I read a lot of stuff. I'm all over the place. I try I try to be rounded, I guess. I don't Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I read a lot of poetry. I was in a point where uh in my life that that really hit and you know. And so I just wanted to do it. But um if someone, you know, is looking I mean there's 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 a lot of things you can do to improve your game. There's, you know, different writing can be very therapeutic. And then you have, you know, like, I've written things that nobody will ever see. And then I've written things that, like, you guys, like, you might dig this, you know. So, you know, I bounced around a lot as a kid. And I, I mean, the downside of that is not a whole lot of connections to things. But the upside of it is also not a whole lot of connection to just one thing. You know what I mean? Um, the more places I can pull from, that's great. Like I said, I've messed with form. I've had a lot of poems that came out of a line or yeah. an image or something I said to somebody or I heard 
or even misheard in a conversation. That's a great one. Yeah, dude, like a lot of my stuff comes out of like this one line that I start to obsess with. And it's like this weird mantra in my head and it like builds on it. I don't know. Yeah, totally. And the musicality of poetry is beautiful. Um, You'll find that some with good prose writers, but it's pretty secondary. And, you know, clicking, you know, I clicked with the beats pretty early on, you know, just the musicality of words. And in fact, I, I learned my lines very musically. And plays, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a good little trick you can do is you know structure rhythms and make your little speech a horn solo, you know. Yeah, you know, and anybody who's actually a student right now, this is a great trick for learning anything. Actually, like it's definitely been studied that you know a tune or a, like a rhythm can make information more easy to hold on to. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's built learning systems for you know some civilizations. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Tribal societies. I mean. Look at, you know, the birth of theater and the and the, the birth of poetry, you know, this this telling stories of the gods. Yeah. You know, that's where that comes from. So, I don't know. I always dug it. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> there's, there's, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of chaos. I guess a lot of it is, is fucking with that. Um, I, I do love taking things that don't belong together and putting them together like that stampede. Yeah. You know, that's totally the image of, of the white elephant. And you know what? It, what's what's the literal white elephant? And um, I I love doing shit like that, and uh, I love having fun with it. Oh yeah, dude. Fuck um, yeah. Probably kept me out of prison, to be honest <laughs> with you. Acting and writing. And I have a I have I don't know what it is. I have a strange kind of I don't know about the word luck, but there there's things I think I told you that I sh- I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I don't know if any of us I mean, do. I felt once. I felt a bullet go by my face one time. Okay. I mean, you know, it's 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 strange. The thing, you know. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? No, for real. <laughs> don't 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 spend too much time wondering. Don't turn to salt neither. Just, Just keep, keep going. going. Fuck yeah. Okay. So, is there anything that you would like to talk about that I didn't ask you about? Yes, there is actually. Um. If you have trauma or you're concerned about if you may have trauma and you want to maybe take that a little further to look into um, a thing called the the ACES study. That's A-C-E-S. Um, you Google them. You'll find them immediately. Uh, that's where a lot of this came out of. Um, and a lot of this research originated with Vietnam vets. So, again, it existed before. Like I knew when I was a kid – a guy from the Korean War who had insane post-traumatic stress disorder. They just called it shell shock. You know, it, yeah. it was seen as more a weakness in a person. But look at the drug and alcoholism rates. Um, that'll tell you a lot about how people are dealing with things. Well, yeah, sure. If they're not presented with any, like, healthier coping mechanisms, like, you know, like, oh, you're just shell shocked. Like, oh, that's just, you know, like, yeah, it seems to be such a huge disservice, right? Like. Yeah, it's really easy to misunderstand things. That's that's so easy, yeah. <laughs> you know. But look into the ACEs study. Um, what that did, they—I don't have it in front of me. They've they've spent decades now um, running this questionnaire, and it's for childhood. Okay, um, the earlier a lot of things happen, the more they may stay with you, because you know the earlier the imprint happens and those sort of things that they're not dealt with. People getting help as early as possible is maybe a biggest, a really big indicator of success. It's why um, early intervention developed. The concept of early intervention, you know, the preschool thing to to help people with deficits. I was 
I was actually trained in uh, relationship play therapy by uh, one of the people who helped devise that whole thing. So the ACEs study, they look at these people and they ask them if, if these things have happened to them before a certain age. Um, I think it's around a dozen. It could be more. I haven't kept up. But uh, you get a score, you know, depending on what you've been exposed to, kind of, and and those sort of things. And what, what the study finds is the more the more things that people have been exposed to traumatically gives them a, like, a, a higher likelihood in uh, engaging in very risky to dangerous maladaptive behaviors. Like there, there's a higher... There's a higher occurrence of, you know, certain types of uh, behavior related to someone with trauma. Drug addiction's a big one. I'm not talking about, you know, you're drinking a little too much. or I mean, like, you know, full-on addiction runs very parallel with trauma for a lot of people. And it's, it's a very unhealthy coping mechanism. Sure. Again, I'm not, I'm not telling people not to party. I, I like to have a good time. <laughs> but, you know, it's what you're doing with it and all that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. But yeah, okay. So if people are curious, they can check out ACES. They can take the questionnaire if they want to. And look look and see what's available in your community for that kind of thing. Because I live in a not a big city, a small town. It's kind of like a, a suburb of a bigger city, but that bigger city doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, and we even have really good uh, trauma-informed care program in our town. And again, that depends on, you know, what's available and, you know, things like, you know, accessibility. But it may be something. And if you look into the ACEs study, you can break down the things that they're looking at. And again, things are subjective because you can go through something and not be traumatized by it. A lot of it is what you brought into that situation, too, you know. You know, you have the problem with trauma a lot with early childhood because there's no skill set yet developing even to process these things. You know what I mean? I mean, there's people can do just god awful things to children, you know, and and that that has results. Um, the better we treat each other, the better the world will be. I mean, that's just absolutely like don't be a dick. And also, like if you think you might be confronting issues with trauma, you don't the don't wait. You know, like the the sooner that you confront it and get treatment or whatever, you know, way that you're strategizing to confront the problem, the better. Sure, and if you don't have uh, someone objective in your life, you know, see if see if you can find. Um, you know, we do know about suicide hotlines, but I did want to mention that some communities, like even mine, have what's called a warm line, where maybe you're not suicidal, but you're having a bad time, and you don't have, you know, someone to talk you talk you back. And those exist in a lot of places. They're not, you know, advertised as much. Often you'll find them in your uh, phone book if, you know, you live in the last century. Okay. Well, that's, no, that's a great tip though. Like there's hotlines and then there's warm lines. Like there, there is this resource out there where if you're just kind of freaking out, you're not suicidal, but you're freaking out and you need to talk to somebody like that's something that might exist out there for you. The thing does exist. And and a lot of things, you know, depend on where you are. You know, if you live in a very uh, urban area, you're likely going to have more resources available to you. But again, that may depend on who you are in that place, you know, and there's certainly, uh, you know, a horrible thing is you have these, these cities that just have this wonderful, amazing uh, medical and mental health care, you know, for what we can get to. But then it's for all these people who can't, can't get it. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of issues with accessibility and, and all kinds of stuff. But I mean, 
I guess talking about it is really the first step. So thank you so much for being willing to, you know, share your expertise and your time and everything with me today. I really appreciate it. Sure. I hope it's useful. Do you have any last thoughts before I say? Before you say last, right? <laughs> um, this has happened before. That Hang around. I'll pop back up. All right? <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's amazing. You know, just stick stick with it yeah fuck yeah i mean like i think it was winston churchill that said like if you're going through hell keep going oh yeah the best way around something is right through the middle of it i mean i i am again an antagonist so i you know you you get my blood up and i'm on you know sometimes you slap me a couple times and we'll party, <laughs> you know but that's me a lot of people aren't like that yeah well wherever you're coming from i mean think about what you have in your toolbox in terms of like tools that you could develop to help you confront these kinds of things when they crop up and yes if if it's possible definitely take advantage of all of the resources that you can get a hold of you know whether that's therapy or and you know what do you you got to do what you got to do you know if uh if you have to bite a bullet on your pride that's a big one you know uh swallowing your pride if you know you got problems that are bigger than you yeah no definitely like don't let your don't don't like spend all of your currency on on your own pride if it's not helping you right 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 there's you know times that it can be useful again you know some of these things have their uses um i wouldn't give up my my nature you know i just you got to temper it well i think that's good i mean self-acceptance and you know self-knowledge and shit is where we're all trying to get with a lot of this shit i think for a lot of people so fuck yeah I know it's only been said for about eight or nine thousand years that we know of, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's only like one of our oldest ideas. <laughs> well, the oldest can be classics. <laughs> All right, Dave. Thank you so much. I really fucking appreciate it. All right, have a good. All right. Thank you so much to Dave. I really appreciate having the opportunity to learn more about this stuff. There were some follow-up notes that Dave wanted me to pass along to you all, the first of which are links to some resources about trauma-informed care from the Center for Healthcare Strategies. Uh, there's some info about the ASEC study and resources from the CDC under violence prevention, um, as well as the National Alliance on Mental Illness Helpline, uh, which lists some other like phone and text resources. So definitely check those show notes out if you would like to learn more. Before I get to the closing thoughts, I'd like to say thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me here on the Luxicult podcast. As always, please send me your thoughts, questions, suggestions, or arcane revelations to luxicultpod at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at luxicultpod. You can check out my magic and art mashup bullshit at The Mimetic Disease, and you can follow The Green Mushroom Project at Hyphosigil. If you're into the show, you can help support it on Patreon by kicking me a couple bucks to buy books and curtail other costs associated with doing this. Big thank you to everybody who is already doing that. Your support really means a lot. Uh, Green Mushroom Project update here. Experiments with the astral space and temple continue. You can check out the short audio chats about that on the Luxacult YouTube channel. I'm working on production for a few new ones of those now, um, and they should be out pretty soon. 
So shout out to everybody participating in the Green Mushroom Project, no matter what that looks like for you. Keep going, resist, and persist. Much love. The Green Mushroom Council is also working on putting together some other really cool stuff, but more on that to come. Check out the Faithline Council Discord server to get involved or join us for a Fungal Friday voice chat. Also check out the Faithline Council podcast for lots of great shit about chaos magic, and don't miss the other great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network like Ad Hoc History, Administrism, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and Smuts Up. I would also like to give a shout out to Rob and the alchemical actors from the Occult Confessions and Dark Pool podcasts. I had a great conversation about conspiracy and conspiracy thought with Rob the other day that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you all. Also coming up is Sound and Magic Part 3 with Matt Marvel, who is the host of the Secret Sound Podcast. His stuff is super cool, really stoked about that one. All kinds of other stuff in the works too, but I think that's probably enough programming notes for now. So we talked a lot in this episode about how sensory input like smells can act as a triggering factor in bringing back bad memories or, or other stuff. Dave wanted me to make sure to let you all know that this works the other way, too. Sensory input can also trigger positive stuff. So this makes me think of, like, the classical notion of correspondences that you find in most, if not all, magical systems in one form or another. Uh, For example, the idea that there would be, like, a certain type of incense you would use for working with a certain deity or doing a certain type of operation actually seems pretty solid when couched in the psychological model if we consider that smell is so closely tied to memory. Um, From here, it's not too far of a jump to see that this idea could be implemented to help intentionally build uh, positive triggers, maybe you could call them for yourself. Um, It also makes me think that there might be something more to the concept of aromatherapy than some of, like, the cringy New Age bullshit that we hear about, Um, of which there is plenty, no doubt. (laughs) Um, When I was a student, I used to do a learning hack where I would chew a certain flavor of gum while I studied for a test, and then I would chew it again while I was taking the test, and this actually seemed to work pretty well. Um, There's all kinds of stuff you could play with here in terms of, like, figuring out how to build these, like, uh, positive triggers or whatever for yourself. They can incorporate or focus on elements of your spiritual practice. Meditation, journaling, other simple daily practices can make an astronomical difference. And if you don't believe me, prove me wrong by trying it out for a couple weeks. I mean, if you really want to make me look like an asshole, you could throw in some light exercise too. I don't know, but... (laughs) Okay, so this is a bit of a sidebar here. The question as to whether uh, psychopaths are less susceptible to trauma came up during the interview, and I was curious, so I did a bit of digging. Um, In a 2017 paper published in the Journal of Experimental Psychopathology, Carolyn Mull and Angela Nickerson from the University of NSW in Sydney, Australia, show that there is evidence to support this idea. I'll read you a little bit from the abstract of this paper which is titled Psychopathic Personality Traits as a Protective Factor Against the Development of Intrusive Memories. Okay, so here's what the abstract says. People with psychopathic personality traits have been shown to have low rates of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Contemporary theoretical models of PTSD and psychopathy converge to suggest that a bias in the type of information that is encoded into memory is a core component of both disorders. 
We tested the hypothesis that people with psychopathic personality traits have a reduced susceptibility to developing intrusion-related symptoms. The results supported the hypothesis that the balance between the encoding of perceptual versus conceptual properties is a core feature in both the ideology of PTSD and in people with psychopathic personality traits. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, uh, Mole Nickerson. I'll put a link to this article in the show notes in case you are a nerd for stuff like this, like me. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, okay, so Dave also said during the interview that behavior is not abstract. And I've been thinking more and more about this statement l- lately. Um, I think everybody has heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And meditating on this notion has really been highlighting the importance of being an active observer in one's life. The actions of people and other animals around you can tell you so much about what's going on. And flipping this back around and applying it to oneself can be a great tool for introspection and understanding. Why the fuck did I do that? And then you follow that as far back as it will go. Yes, introspection and metacognition. Good shit. Good shit, right? (laughs) Another thing here, there's a saying about cooking that time is an ingredient you really can't substitute. We also talked today about time being an important factor in the healing process. There's also a saying about cooking that stuff tastes better when it's made with love or whatever, which I know is hella cheesy, but I'm going to close today by quoting Dave from an email that he sent me. And this idea, I think, ties all these concepts nicely together. All right, so here's what Dave says. I know I mentioned the need for a good year of removal from trauma for the brain to stop its direction. I don't think I got to another central factor to disengage the trauma mindset, and that is at least one positive, trusting relationship. And that relationship is the spoon that stirs the transmutational gumbo. Possibly the only dish where more cooks actually make it better. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Well said. Hell yeah, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me. Big thanks to everybody listening. Um, I hope everybody gets a chance to help themselves to some fucking transmutational gumbo. Much love, stay strong, and stay fucking curious. Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com. What scares you? Ghosts, aliens, monsters, the occult, conspiracies. Some of you like to be scared, and unearthing paranormalcy is for you. Some of you try everything you can to avoid it. Unearthing paranormalcy is for you. We take the topics that scare some, and we dig in to find the source, then present the history to make the paranormal a little more normal. We also throw in a bit of comedy to shed a light on some of the darkness in the world. So whether you're scared of bumps in the night, what's inside your own mind, or strange lights in the sky, 
we cover it all. We dig in and present all that we find and try to come up with some logical and not so logical reasons for the high strangeness happenings. Sometimes we are scared of the things we don't understand. And the more we understand, the less we fear. So find us, Unearthing Paranormalcy, on your favorite podcast app. And join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UMP Normalcy. And until next time, keep digging.